In 2018, the Pennsylvania Attorney General's Office released a 1,000-page report detailing decades of sexual assault and cover-ups committed by Roman Catholic clergy. Like the reports and investigations that preceded it, it's fading from memory. Swears and Prayers is a conversation with Catholics about their relationship with the Church and their struggles with faith in the face of this ongoing and unresolved crisis. These are everyday people and their real stories. Caroline grew up in New York and now lives in Charlottesville. She's a mother and a lay leader in her parish. The pastoral council is the church at, at our church, at Church of the Incarnation, exists as the advisory board to the pastor made up of lay people. So it's lay leadership. And when I started on pastoral council, I didn't really know what I was getting into because my experience now that now I understand what my experience was growing up in the church is experiencing parish councils, which were, I don't really know what they were. I don't really know what they did. And just so we like, I'm, I'm <clears throat> doing this for explanation purposes, but yes. like a, a, lay, a lay person is someone who's not ordained or not. And right. it's a deacon, a lay person. Yes. No, you know? I think okay. a day per, deacon is considered clergy. clergy. I mean, at least okay. in, in the last years, that's how I've come to understand certainly yeah. within the hierarchy of our little parish. Right. Um, and, and they're not, you guys, it's volunteer. Volunteer, and although that was a word that we didn't use, actually, because that was something our pastor didn't like for us to use, the word volunteer. Why is that? I don't know. I never, I'm not sure I ever internalized that um, rationale, and maybe I didn't internalize it because I didn't really buy into it, because ultimately, that's what I felt like. And I wasn't getting paid. And so a volunteer, to me, doesn't have a positive or negative connotation, it just... Um, it didn't mean I felt less in service of the church because I was volunteering. Um, But uh, so the pastoral council really has, in most pastoral councils I've come to learn in the Catholic church, according to the USCCB, the United States Council of Catholic Bishops have no authority. They don't have any. um, And originally they were conceived. My understanding, I've not really done any reading to, any significant like research reading to confirm this but my understanding is that the idea after Vatican II was that they might take the shape of something more like um, and I think maybe you and I have talked about this you know pastor as one of the people around the table who is working in concert um, and their role pastor's role would be more um, you know specific to their pastoral responsibilities Mm -hmm. and maybe less to the financial responsibilities, the oversight, and there might even be a lay person, a non-clergy person, but maybe someone who's paid or not, who is actually like the CEO was in charge. So like some of the thinking in back in the day was that it might almost be like an Episcopal, Episcopalian model. That's like, it's kind of a council and they do actually have power over hiring and things like this. That's not how it worked out. Right. And my understanding is that then that basically there was a big backward movement um, or whatever, the pendulum swung the other way and then they uh, I mean, when I looked last fall to see if there were other examples out there, trying to think about like what was the scope of my own influence in the church and what could potentially be changed, what I realized is there was 
possibly very little room for change because it was so institutionalized in yeah. a larger institutional church. And I think that's when I had my last fall, maybe my reawakening to the larger institutional Catholic church that is different than what I perceive the Episcopalian mm-hmm. model is. Um, <clears throat> and another piece of that puzzle for me kind of got filled out in the last couple of months um, the, the last couple of months of this year, this academic year, um, May and June, particularly when we realized we were going to be getting new pastor right. for our church after 18 years, which is not usual. The terms are usually shorter. Um, and then I was faced with this realization that as a parish, we had literally no say in who we were getting and it literally kind of felt like the last vestiges of anything that felt like the possibility of lay influence influence could actually happen. And I think I'm still in a place of some amount of like disbelief, shock and like deep disappointment that in a time when we feel, when it feels most possible as an idea, because we were so we got to such a bad place it was like not even considered it wasn't even like thrown out there as well, how like, did it like, like what, did, what, what, like <clears throat> what's the step by step and also like your expectation versus what actually happened so I'm not sure I even knew what my expectation right. was right but like I think it, as I like tried to marry my expectation with the reality what became clear was the bishop in this case, the Bishop of the Archdiocese of Richmond, or the Diocese of Richmond, um, decided that he was going to go back to a model, which was a six-year pastor staying for six years. And he probably recognized that about a year ago when he became bishop and waited a year, obviously, or a little over a year, to make those changes. And so in June of this year uh, well back in, in some point in the late spring he started talking to priests about the transfers of which there were many and then he's, they were sworn to secrecy they were not allowed to tell anyone for a month and then basically the priests were the priests okay. were not the priests who were being transferred were not allowed to talk about it and they were um, they were allowed to tell their parishioners right before it was published by the diocese on their website. And so essentially as parishes, we had a month in which to recognize the transition and say goodbye to our pastors or whatever. They weren't all pastors, clergy, and um, and also welcome a new pastor. So, so this was like priests too, like not just pastors. And that's right. Okay. Mm-hmm. Priests, I'm not sure if there were any deacons, but... And it was significant. It was like 23 people in the diocese, 23 members of the clergy in the diocese. So I think initially I was like struck by like the swiftness with which it happened and thinking to myself like, why couldn't we, given that this was not something that was done under duress or there weren't any seeming like reasons for this that were really bad, why couldn't this be announced in January and have, or February and have like a more natural kind of transition. Yeah. So that was my first like hair standing up on my neck kind of feeling of like 
oh, well, that's one way to not include the clergy. Sorry, to include the lay people. Is if you make it fast and you don't make them have enough time to transition. And then as I kind of went back from that, I was like, I had some conversations with our pastor during this time who was very distressed about his own leaving. And he talked about the fact that... Can you talk about about his distress? Like, what, What do you mean by that? So his distress was was well it became clear to me when he talked about it his distrust was based in and I should say I'm not opposed to like a six year transition. Right, right. I, I don't I don't have any I felt for him mm-hmm. because of the fact that he had been a part of this parish for eighteen years, but I didn't feel I don't feel that as a policy that's a wrong policy. Right. I just um so his distress came from the fact that he too doesn't feel like he had any real say in how oh, okay. he was moving or why he was moving. He felt that he was being put out to pasture. And and then he described in the in our conversations about the move how it used to be that every year there would be some diocesan sounded like a group, maybe a small group, two or three people, I I may be making that up, but some person at least, who came and kind of checked in with the parish and the pastor how, what are the basically like, what are the strengths and weaknesses of the parish, and it was clearly someone, and even the pastor knew that it was someone who was basically gauging the health of the parish Mm -hmm. and like the fit of the pastor and and the parish and so when but that evidently, when Bishop DiLorenzo came along, that went away, whatever that group was. And so he felt like no one had checked in for many years about what he would want or where he would want to be. And for instance, so, and DiLorenzo was the one who died recently. Yes, he okay. died, and he is the, and then Barry Nestout became the He's the bishop. new one. And then the one before, so the, who one before it who, sounds like maybe he was compassionate. Okay. I don't know. I don't even know his name yeah. offhand. I would recognize No, I was just heard, curious about, so he, it was like a changing of the guard type of Yes, it was a changing of the guard, right. And, um, <clears throat> and so, so he felt that he, and he had some, he has some family circumstances that would have made a move towards something closer to Northern Virginia a much more humane kind right. of decision for him and his family. And there again, I feel, I feel like um, there is some amount of compassion. Um, you know, to not have then been able to even move to a parish that might be slightly closer to his family and their um, and the ways in which he'll need to care for them, especially as the years go on, like that felt like another mark of well, this just seems again like we're missing the yeah. need for humanity. And then I was like witness to all the ways in which <clears throat> this priest was left alone basically in his transition. And so, again, for whatever my feelings were about incarnation and our needs as a parish, I felt like real deep compassion or I feel deep compassion for this person who has no support system no family yeah. or no you know no a nuclear family and is alone after 18 years in a place he doesn't know and he's had two months to figure out beyond that this was a person who like, didn't know how to hire a moving company and so anyway all of these things 
then we're then like realizing like there this is a church who's not even caring for this one man yeah, yeah. which would be relatively easy i think or and then so wow they're definitely not going to be worried about us as parishioners and like i think i mean this sounds so i mean we all experience this i recognize but like when you when you think you can't be further dismayed and then you're further dismayed and distressed what do you like what do you do what do i do i think that's my question like what do i do and I'm so so I think that's where I am like uh, or, or so I mean just to I guess say a little bit more about the church transition we I think have a new pastor who is going to be from the sounds of it and I've met with him he's potentially going to bring a lot of the kind of infrastructure needs that we have that would be the equivalent of someone coming in and kind of shoring up a not failing business, but a, a business that was like had expanded, had the potential to expand more, but like needs some stuff in place to right. make that expansion happen. But who's clearly not in, well, based on my first meeting, doesn't seem particularly collegial. Right although he has the words that make it sound collegial, which is, a, I recognize, like, a thing people do, and I think a thing men do particularly well. <laughs> you, like, just well. about that a little bit. Yeah, so, like, the words that say, I'm going to listen to people and hear what they have to say before making a change. And a woman that was in this first meeting with, or the first time I met him, <clears throat> basically said, well, like, if you're going to change those things anyway, I don't want to participate in an inauthentic process of listening. Right. And I, I appreciate what she's saying. I, I do think, though, there is sometimes, like, just a place for a process of, of listening, even if the outcome is relatively rigid. Like, yeah. if I, I, I accept that even there are some times when I acknowledge that that happens, um, Although that feels a little like parental, it feels like the way I deal with my eleven-year-old yeah. ch- child. Like, I know we're going to be going to the grocery store, yeah. but I'm willing to engage in the conversation about why. But like, I'm a forty-five-year-old woman yeah. who's not been in this church for as you know in this particular parish for as long as many, many of the parishioners have been. But um, so, in the course of this conversation, he talks about a number of changes that he is going to make in the church. And um, and one of the biggest ones to the parishioner. So among the in the conversation, I tried to encourage him to communicate to the parish why the change was happening. Like that feels like a really important thing, and that our parish, while some of our systems of communication are flawed or non-existent there's still a bunch of people who want to participate in communication. So just because the method of communication doesn't exist doesn't mean they don't want to be communicated right. with. Um, and so we talked about the issue of adding kneelers to our church. And he he said that that was going to be something that he did that was a, um, a kind of a statement or a, um, a mandate from the bishop that he had. And, like, there was a part of, like, a, like, a little part of my brain was, like, 
sounding a buzzer around that. And then the mandate that the churches are going to all have kneelers. Well, that yes, in or in the diocese. I don't know what that means. How many in the diocese? Okay. But in our parish, it's a like it'll it will be an architectural. Oh yeah problem yeah. right because we we don't have the literal space but but one that I assume some talented person could figure out so as he begins to unpack the he he starts going into the rationale with us and the rationale is that and and Neilers is not the hill I'm going to die sure, on, actually yeah. as a Catholic as a faithful person it's actually something I feel comfortable with I don't have Sure. But so he starts to go down a path of, well, kneelers are actually, he said, well, let me back up your church. So right away, it's like mm-hmm. when I start to feel like, okay, so now I'm getting blamed for something that like it, now it's my church because something's wrong with it. Okay. Um, your church is really just a wrapper and it was, it was built at a time when there was an architectural movement in the Catholic church for churches as wrappers, the understanding that church was really just the people in the pews. <coughs> And people really felt that there was this unfinished work at the Council of Nicaea and that that unfinished work, um, if, if they had just been allowed to go on for longer at the Second Vatican Council, they would have gone back to Nicaea and realized that um, the gestures of kneeling and were not um, really the gestures of Jesus and the Church of Jesus. And he starts like rolling through all of this and... I'm listening. I'm like, wow, this is a seriously deep issue. So it's mm-hmm. really now it's not just about like figuring out how we're going to get these things in. Oh no, this is like a this is a big issue yeah. of which I knew nothing. Right, I knew nothing. But what's coming up in the conversation is I'm hearing a lot of references to the bishops, and the bishops mm-hmm. say the gestures of the church, feeling like we've fallen away from the gestures, and that's moving us away from the sacrament of the Eucharist, and and then I'm thinking to myself. But the people in this church, many of whom are still alive, and I can feel myself getting Mm -hmm. heated right now, and I was heated then. Not only are they alive, they're like, they're thriving adults. They're like 25 years older than me. Yeah. They chose that architect. Yeah. They chose that form of architecture. So now, actually, I thought it was going to be a big problem. Now it's a way bigger problem than I thought it was because... It was chosen with a purpose. And so actually we're not just talking about the gestures of the church. We're talking about the people who made a choice to choose the architect who is going to wrap this building the way they did or whatever that means. Like mm-hmm. I would need to go back and study that. And, and and so then the other part that comes out and the other part that eventually in the conversation I came back to, and this again is where I felt like a little bit of that sense of like, I'm hearing you, but I'm not listening to you. Yeah. And maybe it's because you're a woman. I'm now. I'm just putting that on it. But like, oh, that's I, fair. I think. I mean, I just felt. <laughs> I said to him, like, I need you to know, when I hear you um, referencing the, the bishops, the bishops say, the United States Council of Catholic Bishops article, blah blah blah, whatever says. I was like, I have a difficult time hearing that, and I think some of our parishioners will. This may not be the time to like make that our reference. And then I'm just like, I don't, I'm just going to try not to use foul language. Oh, do, like, please. Why the f- is this the thing you're going to decide your, the t- what you're going to say? Oh it seems so bad. And I, and I just felt so deflated in a way that like the meeting ended fine. I think things will carry on, but I felt so much like, 
here is a man who clearly has a lot of control and these mandates and he says he's going to listen and maybe he will I really don't know and I just have a sense of like I don't want to participate in this I don't want to participate and and this goes back to something that you and I have talked about before. Like, I love, the, like, I like the institution. I'm mm-hmm. a, well, maybe you and I haven't talked about the institution. We've talked about, like, we're believers. And I actually think, like, from our discussions, like, I want to be the believer that you are. And I've thought for a long time, I've had this sense of, like, as I become an adult, I'll become more and more of a believer. What do you mean a believers? You mean me? Yeah, like, like, no, like, having a, like, the, like, a real, like, a, in your, under your skin kind of faith of this, an understanding of the, like, what it means to be faithful Catholic that doesn't have to do with, like, checking off boxes of church or but like the the kind of next level to me like the level up from that and I've kept I feel like I was starting to feel like I was getting somewhere that felt like more of that and I have so retreated from that in the last year but then I was hanging on to the institutional church because I like an institution and I was feeling like the possibility of me gaining more faith and a depth of faith that I don't have is going to be possible with my fuller participation in the institutional church because mm-hmm. that's how I experience things. I become in them and then I can, and my, I appreciate understanding how institutions work. I appreciate understanding the flaws. And then I appreciate under, having the possibility of like being a part of change and, or pop, change is not always good but I, uh, participating in good change positive change and, and also because <clears throat> it's an institutional religion it's not like right. a free flyer right. like let's make it happen mm-hmm. um, what, how are you feeling about it type right. I mean it's, that's, I think that's one of the problems with the whole uh, or I should say like the um, ongoing tensions is that like people say well, well for everyone who says well you know hey you can just know God and like it's cool to just pray on your own right. personal Jesus or who, whatever and you're like, yeah, but if you if you're like enculturated with like in something that's institutional that confers like validity is not is like a value judgment. Right. I don't really mean that. It's no, almost I... like it's so it's like if you remove one, it's like Jenga. Like the right. rest of it kind of right. falls. And you can't say, well, you know, I just want that or I just want that's that. Right. It's like no, actually, because I want to participate wholly with all the other people around me, it means that I have to deal with the priest, and the right. priest is here because of a bishop. Right. And the bishop says we have to put in the kneelers, which basically is an act that says, I am doing away with what you guys have wanted and have lived with for the right. past 40 years right? because I've decided that I don't want it anymore. This so you're like, but all I wanted to do was go to communion. Right. Right. <laughs> and you're like, right. so right. hence you're wrapped up in all of this. Okay. Um, right. And I think that's the, one of the other struggles. I think that's exactly right. I mean, you've said it. You've said how I definitely feel myself being particularly in the last couple of weeks at church you know noticing there's part of me and I'm never going to be this person because I'm never this person in any part of my life but I wish that I could just go and be yeah and not notice that when I see him 
shaking off the substantial crumbs of substantial bread with the slight like scowl on his face. I know what's coming. Like substantial bread is going to be gone from our parish because. And oh, I see what you mean. You know, so substantial does, bread is like like bed. It's bed, not a wafer. Right. Like it's not it a wafer, leaves crumbs right. behind. Somebody somebody yeah. baked it in their kitchen yeah. and. And it just happens like that particular thing. I've had an eye into that ministry at our church, the bread baking ministry. And those people in our church take it super seriously. They follow guidelines, they read, they like cross reference and double check ovens and all this stuff. So it's not like a fly by night. Yeah. No, it's not a fly by night. It's almost like operation. a kosher kitchen. Type it is. Of it's totally yeah. like that. Oh my God. That's exactly what it's like, actually. And so to see that too is going to go away. And he said, like he said in this other, this meeting I had that we're going to have to talk about it because I get Jesus under my fingernails and I, yeah. Oh I my like, God. So but I, there's just a part of me that wishes I could be at mass and not know, not know, but I'm never going to be that person because I like to know. Yeah. I like to know why the things are the way they are. That like is, is the best chance I have for being fully immersed yeah. in my faith and therefore like you know it's also working against me right now it's working against me substantially and I'm 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 just so unhappy I'm so unhappy and so your desire to know more mm-hmm. is actually clashing with your faith I feel like yeah. it is I feel uh, yes um and I, you know, I've been wondering a lot about, like, I wonder a lot about what it looks like to have, like, a more pure experience of the Mass, for instance. And, like, um, would going to the monastery at Our Lady of, Angel, of the Angels, would that help me to, like, kind of get back to something that I don't want to go to a Latin Mass, mm-hmm. even though, yeah, I mean, I, 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 so I'm wondering about like where else could I go that might satisfy um, kind of getting down to like the the nuts and bolts of it um, of the mass but that's where I run into the, the thing that you know I've said to you a lot which is that my Shane is my husband is not so he doesn't know about the things he doesn't he's not noticing the pastor shake his fingers out he's not he just he's there in a way uh, and he's he's present to the mass because it particularly represents community for him the literal community of the people are sitting around that church and 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 he's a cradle catholic too he is a cradle catholic he went to church until he was um he got his confirmation and then they didn't go back right. and so he started going to church with me again when when we i would i would be in new york and we kind of like literally like went to mass basically based on where we were either having dinner or brunch mm-hmm. like we would find a place and i always felt like for the most part like in brooklyn in brooklyn okay. and then a lot of the time you know we tried to find a jesuit yeah, you know we. Uh, so Saint Francis Xavier. Saint Francis Xavier. What was the? Um, so my. Yeah. That's where I went when I was in New York. So. Right. <clears throat> and um, 
and the the it was Ignatius, Saint Ignatius. No, Loyola, yeah, up um, in up, uptown. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So that's the one we went to quite frequently, because I was I was at Columbia, and so our you know we were kind of meeting in central places or more central places, whatever. But the um, but he didn't like he was going to kind of just he, yeah, yeah like he and and then when we moved to Charlottesville. I mean, we were going to church in Boston. We were going frequently. And we had conversation, purposeful conversation, about wanting to raise Elizabeth in the Catholic faith so that she could make a decision at some point. You know, what... Although, I guess maybe I'm not sure I ever really believed that she would make a decision. I'm just like, we're making that decision for her right, right now. But <clears throat> that she would have something to respond to yeah. as she gets older. And, um, and so... Yeah, so here we are, and Shane is, like, in it now. But he's in it in the... He likes to see the people that he sees. Like, he wouldn't want to go to the 1130 Mass because we go to the 9 a.m. Mass, and those are the people we see. And so he doesn't want to go to Our Lady of the Angels Monastery. And I think he would go with me, but he doesn't really want to. He really wants to go to the 9 a.m. Mass and see Incarnation. So, like, that's where we're stuck now. Mm-hmm. and Or that's where I'm feeling stuck. And and I know that Shane doesn't really want to talk too much about it because he doesn't want to really disrupt that. And I, I get it. Um, and so I don't know. So in some ways, like, this women's group that's now expanded to have the prayer service and dinner feels like a perfect solution because it allows for 9 a.m. mass and then it allow you know allows for something later but it number one I think on some level it's it feels very like risky to me mm-hmm. because it feels so far away from what I consider to be like the rules of the church and things what about that are, what, what about <clears throat> it seems risky to you um I think, in general, I was raised with a with a sense of um, distrust of lay leadership of the church, and so even though <laughs> even though I've been a lay leader of the ch- in the church, even though like as my whole young adult adult life, I've participated somehow in the church as and sometimes more of a, or less of a leadership role, there's still that, like, nagging feeling, the same nagging feeling that's in the same, like, bucket of if I don't go to Mass, if I don't go to confession, um, any number of other sins um, that going too far outside of the church... Um, the church's accepted like forms of prayer or church sanctioned something because would be bad Mm. and because even as a child or even as a young person like when the people at in my high school the parents of high schoolers who are my in my peer group who were catholic got wind of the excitement that people had for young life which is the presbyterian version of you know youth group and they started a Catholic one. 
my parents didn't want anything to do with, with it. They thought it was super shady. And um, <clears throat> and by shady, do you mean heretical? I think I mean heretical, but yeah. I don't know what I I don't know what that word means exactly. Well, it's like I mean, it's it's like when you said that, I was actually shocked. <laughs> when you said what? <laughs> when you said like, oh, I don't know, like they're outside, like the dinner church is like outside, right? And I was like, oh my god, like how you say distrust lay leaders? I was like. <laughs> Oh my god! Like you mean you're, I'm you. causing you to distrust? No, oh, no, because no, oh, you oh. said you don't trust them, and so I'm like, I and I was thinking before you said it, I'm like, right. you're a lay leader, like, right? That's was right. the next thing that was going to come out of my mouth. I mean, think about that. But don't you think how, how much we distrust ourselves? Right, like, that's, right. It, that's how. That's like it, that's brainwashing. <laughs> yeah. No, I mean that's <laughs> so deep. That's it's so deeply troubling, oh, right? And how much work you put into the church? Mm-hmm. Like you've given so many, like. Right. I mean, blood, sweat, tears, man hours. Like, it's right. that has been kind of. I mean, I don't know. I mean, it might be far to say it's your life's work, but it's definitely been a huge chunk of like yeah. your adulthood. Absolutely, a hundred percent. Absolutely. I mean, from with with some gaps in my adult life, which you know I consider to be like from the beginning of college until now. More often than not, I've been doing like immersed in something substantial in the church yeah and so to like self-hating yeah it's so bad right and so and that I think is connected like I mean these this is when I start having these conversations I'm like I need to go to therapy immediately because like there's so much to unpack there that has to do with the permissions I still think of looking for from my parents this the um and again like even in all of those ways it's still the same way that I when I said before like I wish I could go to mass and not notice certain things I wish I could be with my parents and not notice certain things that I know are being said or unsaid but that's just who I like that's who I am I can't I recognize now I can't be something different so I have to figure out how to live in this body um, in this faith and, and I just I'm just not sure what to do anymore like I'm I'm so I've been going to mass at our church since the new pastor started but it's summer so it feels a little bit like things could be squishy but I feel like like any good former teacher like I'm ready beginning the first of September to like nail down what we're going to be doing Mm -hmm. and I feel like um but you're going to stay on the parish council no 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 I'm done and that was another yeah and there was, that was the other thing in this conversation with the pastor, there was this assumption that, you know, I'll, I'm going to ask everyone to stand for another year and so on. And I said, like, no, thank I'm you, out. I'm done. Like, I'm, <laughs> I'm, yeah, and that's because Shane asked me, and we had decided a while ago that this was not going to be what I did anymore. And I was also, it was the end of my time, and, like, oh, yeah. there were term limits or whatever. It was, like, on every level, it was the end. But... <clears throat> so I knew that this time was going to come. I anticipated that I would really want to pull back from things because I tend to get over-involved and then I get busy so that I can forget the like things that are bothering you. The things that are bothering me. And I think the thing that's bothering me <clears throat> and when I talk about when I think back to you know again like the question of I'm def- who am I, def- have I had to defend 
my religion. I'm yeah. defending it to myself. Yeah. And I'm Who's not winning. Doing, no one's <laughs> and I'm not winning. I yeah. mean, and I don't know that I want to win. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Like I feel I feel a deep sense of comfort when I'm at dinner church. Like yeah. I feel very happy there. I feel yeah. very comfortable there. I don't feel a loss of something, and I think I should be feeling the loss of the sacrament, right? But you, you, you're not feeling the loss of sacrament because you received it earlier that day, right? And but you, I and think if I wasn't re- going you in the morning, I know. But I think if I wasn't going in the morning, I'm not sure I would be but missing you it. Don't know what you've not done that, so you don't right. know what no, that feels like. No, I don't know what that feels like. So that would be. <clears throat> but I mean. I hear you on the like you think you think it's shady because we've all we've we've all been taught that like oh yeah lay people get them involved but once they start doing something it's shady unless it's like with the priest next to them while they're doing it like Opus Dei Opus Dei is cool (laughs) but if you're starting your little like lay like thing it's not unless you have a priest come in and like if he's not giving out communion he's like blessing the the um the group that's that's hanging out together but the but but. I will say that okay for the purposes of this conversation dinner church is like an inform like it's basically uh, an inform <clears throat> it's like a monastic based yes. prayer kind of prayer service fellowship thing that that people here in Charlottesville have been doing since Lent of 2019 and um, it is not heretical because there's no, everything that's in it is basically um, it's scripture. That's right. There's That's right. no there's no um, sacraments on offer. That's right. Um, there's no like consecration. No. There's no, no there's no talking um, professing of creed. Right. And there's no um, like invocation. That's right. That's so right. it really is, and also it, it uses the model of the monastic liturgy, um, yeah. liturgy in the sense that you use the psalms as the base. Right. So it's, it is. There's really, in that, I mean, unless you consider the meeting of lay people without a priest to be heretical, which I'm right. sure somebody does somewhere. Right, right. Um, the things that are being done there are not heretical. That's right. That's so, right. just for yes. the record. Yeah. But because we feel this, it's like right. an unenculturated response that that's right. people say, oh, that sounds good, but tell me what you're doing. And yes. everyone wants, and, and we've, I know I'm talking too much, but like we, we kind of ran into this because I was. I was meeting with Rebecca and um, yeah, 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 right. and we were kind of like, right. what's the statement of purpose? And I was like, I don't care. I mean, my, my personal thing is like, I don't care. Like, I'm going to say what I think it is, which is like, I do think it's a woman-centered movement or whatever movement. It's it's, it's in exists in parallel to church. Right. It doesn't replace it unless you right. want it to. Right. And then individuals will have to understand, like, if they're not receiving sacraments, like, technically that's um if you're if you're not in good standing then yes you are living in heresy but a lot of people do i think a lot of people right. go to mass every week right and receive communion right. without confessing right. technically they're like not walking the line either um so yeah there's a, and i think people want to know what it is so that they can kind of go back to their priest and be like this is okay or right. like go back and read it and be like instead of what i wish people would do would be just participate and you know, try to be comforted. Right, right, right. There's not a lot of comfort that we have right now. Right. Um, I mean, that's such a good way of thinking about it, too, is comfort. And maybe that's what I, um, you know, yeah, that's such a helpful word, actually, because I do feel comforted when I'm there. And I feel the comfort of, like, 
the Psalms and I feel the comfort of women's voices, which feel very, like at one time, both totally um, unique and like um, profound. And on the other hand, like that's my own voice. So it feels totally wonderful and comfortable Mm -hmm. and not strange or, um, and I, I think in general, like the thing that I frustrates me about the Catholic church in part is that we have the singular voice of the priest always Mm -hmm. giving the homily. And I, I love hearing multiple perspectives on something it's always something that benefits me for it's like possibility of giving me a like a wider sense of something and we never experience that and so that's something where I feel like um as the dinner church or whatever I feel the need for a name lady church (laughs) grows like the my desire for the increase of women's voices is you know is there and and yeah maybe this maybe that will be the comfort of the next year i mean i also think that comfort in a lot of ways is a foreign feeling mm-hmm. for catholics because mm-hmm. you were you're explaining earlier you're like i you know about the rules and your parents and like right. um and also noticing when things are wrong like right. we we notice everything right. and i think that's something that we've been trained to do is we notice everything. Um, you'll note, you, like you said, I notice the crumbs right. on the priest's fingers, right. and I notice like the I notice kneelers, and I notice who's kneeling, and I notice who's not kneeling, and it's like all these details. Um, it's it's like sets us up to judge each other, right? Oh, that's and so it's like, true. like I mean, I've discussed this with you before. Yes. It's like when I, the first time, like I didn't know I, before I ever met you, I was like, oh, so she's like a church lady, and like, right, right, and right. I don't need to talk. Like, we're never right. going to be friends because like she's <laughs> up on the lectern, and like right. I, like she's on the parish council, right? Like she, I'm too much of a sinner. Like there's right. no way. Like I have nothing in common with her. Like just me judging you right. because I have no, I just am going by all these external things that we've right. been trained to look at mm-hmm. each other and it's like until a moment of crisis there's no we're going we we do look past each other right. especially especially like if you're um like a transplant to another area like i think right. it's different if you like you grew up with people and it's your parish and you've known everyone right, blah, 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 blah. right. but and if you have you're a like, sense of yeah but if you're trying to figure out like who your people are and you're new to town yeah. it's like you take all that in and you're like hmm so this is a kneeler church or like, right right <laughs> you know right, right. And you're like are they going to be nice to me at donut hour right. or someone right. going to bring up, right. you know, Padre Pio or something? Right. Um, and you'll be like freaked out and you'll have to leave. And it's like, <laughs> but what I'm saying is like, because we're all judging each other, like silently. It's true. That we never talk about anything it's substantial. True. It's true. Swears and Prayers podcast is brought to you by me, Jen Mediano, and producer Erica Gregory at Scout Creative Agency in Charlottesville.